Hello and welcome to ESG Out Loud, ESG Clarity's podcast. I'm Global Deputy Editor Natasha Turner and today we've got the final episode from the three-part sector special series sponsored by JP Morgan Asset Management. We're back speaking to Jennifer today and uh, for our final episode in this sector special we are talking about healthcare which uh, we've written a couple of pieces on on ESG Clarity lately. Uh, it's a really interesting sector I think to, to delve into. So what do you think are some of the unique ESG issues when it comes to the healthcare sector, Jennifer? Yeah, I would say climate change is number one uh, ESG issue, uh, you know, when it comes to the healthcare sector, because uh, of its ability to actually impact human health in both a direct and indirect way. So direct would be, you know, from extreme uh, weather events or heat wave, uh, which could take lives away. Um, another example would be loss in productivity. I think that's a very obvious example. And this requires any kinds of economic, economic activities that require labor to work outside, uh, like construction, farming, or even services. It has created um, you know, pretty significant burden on the entire healthcare system. We saw that this year in France with the public health care system. So this could actually be a catalyst for further growth in the private health care system. But it's suffice to say that um, the direct impact on human health uh, does uh, have uh, presents risks and opportunities for the healthcare systems. In the indirect space, um, you can think about because of shortage of food or water, um, so malnutrition, and also other types of uh, health issues like respiratory health from pollution or even the spread of water and and vector-borne diseases. We know that um, dengue fever, yellow fever uh, have the potential of moving north uh, from Africa, so that's quite scary. So I think a, a global pandemic is another good example, direct impact on the healthcare system. I also think that um, you know a very important consideration is around the S of ESG, which is in in, in inequity. Mm. We know for a fact that climate change uh, would actually impact the poorer community uh, more than wealthier communities. Um, so I think you know climate change would be number one uh, ESG issues when it comes to this sect, particular sector, not because of the direct health impact. Uh, environmental impact, but also the inequity or inequalities that it has, um, it can potentially create. Mm -hmm. And what about some of the um, risks presented by the healthcare sector that are ESG related? So sort of switching that around a bit, are there some there? Um, I'm just thinking, you know, maybe the, the pharmaceutical industry, if you were looking at investment opportunities in that, what would be the kind of ESG considerations that businesses in that space might pose? Yeah, so I think access to healthcare system is one. um, And we saw that during the pandemic, right, in in some very poor communities, if they don't have remote access or internet access to Mm. potential remote healthcare, that presents a huge issue for some of them. Um, So the ability to access healthcare uh, you know, uh, in a cost-effective way is something that is not only a developing country issue, but also a developed country issue, very much so. The other uh, challenge we see in some of the markets, like the U.S. as an example, is affordability, uh, you know, the pricing of drugs and also healthcare pro- provision of healthcare uh, can become, um, you know, a, a bottleneck for 
uh, you know, human uh, communities uh, or communities to access, um, you know, better health plan and, and, and care, health care. So I would say like these are probably the two biggest issues uh, as it relates to the S. Um, there is also from an E standpoint, uh, waste, so waste treatment and recycling. So healthcare uh, as, as a sector, um, you know, hospitals uh, or drug companies, etc. You know, um, basically produce uh, quite a significant amount of waste that cannot necessarily be recycled, and they can be um, waste that needs to be treated properly so that there is no contamination, etc. Um, so how do you and, and we know for a fact that because of the um, the need in hospitals, a lot of those uh, garments or equipments are only for use uh, usage that's only like one one time usage. So a lot of those are plastics. Um, so how do you actually um, you know take care of the the disposal of these plastic uh, equipments and garments is also um, causing environmental impact. Um, and I think COVID was uh, one uh, one example of how like you know it, we actually were um, not able to really uh, deal with waste, uh, such plastic waste in a more effective way. So these will be like the more uh, important ESG issues created by healthcare sector. Right. Yeah, definitely. Well, okay. So what are, flipping that around again, I suppose, what are some of the, the opportunities then presented by some of this to fix some of those things? I mean, are there recycling options out there for medical waste? Yeah, as you say, it has to be treated properly. So what's kind yeah, of, what are some of the solutions? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and, and if we think about the healthcare industry, um, you know the 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 impact it has on to our planet is pretty significant. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in the context of climate, right? If we say uh, if the healthcare industry were a country, it will probably it would be the fifth largest emitters in the world, and it's responsible for four point five percent of global emissions. So that's pretty significant. Um, and uh, if we think about how we tackle those, there are a number of uh, opportunities, uh, investment opportunities for us to consider. Um, by the way, all of these rely on um, a lot of them actually rely on data collection and analytics. So technology actually plays a pretty critical role in, in healthcare uh, sector, um, even when it comes to uh, recycling of plastics uh, or breakdown of plastics. Right, technology actually plays a pretty critical role. So one area um, that's really exciting is about uh, what we call health information system. So this really, um, you know, examples such as uh, the ability to connect uh, communities uh, by way of sharing data and collaborating in real time to address uh, drivers of health. So it could be things like wearable or even implantable devices that monitor, um, you know, the health of individuals. Um, for pandemics, right, there are uh, new technologies such as viral surveillance um, and tracking changes in activities that can help us to better predict and understand new viruses, not just in pe- people, but also animals as well. Um, and uh, I think it's also important to highlight that, you know, when it comes to delivery, we talked about access to healthcare, etc. Uh, so service delivery is another area to look at in terms of investment opportunity. Um, there are, you know, AI or machine learning based of sensing technology, like, for instance, not necessarily wearable devices, but you could, you know, there are um, technologies such as smart sensors that are built into refrigerators uh, that can help to advise 
diabetic patients on when they should optimize nutrition and then also what to do with eliminating food waste, et cetera. So that's really new and and interesting. Um, And if you look at specifically at pharmaceutical or technology company, they can actually integrate climate trend data into the supply chain operations so that they can plan for costly disruption caused by severe weather. And that's really uh, important and useful because this also helps companies to uh, really assess their relationship with the suppliers and the locations of their facilities as well. I guess the last area um, of investment opportunity is around the health uh, workforce. I think educational needs uh, really vary by the different pathways, but, um, you know, flood response, uh, which is required by the frontline staff so that they appreciate the risk and the potential for disruption. Um, And then also uh, education such that they can really respond effectively to an increase in vector-borne diseases. Um, So a lot of the training and understanding education is needed, I think, for the health uh, care workforce. Uh, around how severe weather events uh, could actually pose onto their day-to-day um, day-to-day work, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's things in the news about AI and people worry about the healthcare da- healthcare data. What are the engagement approaches in the area of healthcare and ESG? Yeah, I think it's a fair, um, a totally fair concern. Um, I do I do see how there are some new technologies and solutions that are primarily focusing on, OK, how do we actually get AI to determine the best treatment that this particular patient would need mm-hmm. right, and relying on that or um, data privacy issues uh, as it relates to you know information about particular patients. But I would say that's still a small part of the overall solutions development across the healthcare uh, industry. I think a lot of the focus has been on how can AI or machine learning help doctors or um, researchers work more efficiently by processing lots and lots of medical journals. Um, And then also how can new technologies help doctors uh, to, um, you know, be able to diagnose diseases or um, sicknesses more accurately. Um, So I think a lot of the focus on technology is on that front, which is to equip our medical staff or healthcare healthcare, uh, sector workers to work more efficiently and effectively. But that's total valid concern because, um, you know, what's stopping technologies or researchers from, you know, pivoting towards another, another um, uh, path and, and which could actually create more concerns. And I think that's where, um, you know, two things are important. Number one, disclosure, right? So understanding whatever the solution is, you know, what is the impact of such solutions on, you know, E, S, and G um, aspects of that, that we consider. And then the other thing is regulations. There's definitely a lot more focus from regulator and policymakers on how important the healthcare system is, uh, and then also how these new different new types of technologies uh, should or should not be used um, in helping us to have better access to healthcare, more affordable healthcare, et cetera. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um and you, you mentioned the scale of the sector. Um, I mean, given that, I, mean, I didn't even sort of realize the the the, the sheer size. But what um, you know, how how can that be used to to bring about the kind of change that we changes we want to see in the context of climate adaptation and some of the other things we've been talking about? Um, and you know, you have mentioned some of the the investment opportunities there. But I mean, how can that 
be financed kind of more broadly? Yeah, so I think healthcare um, uh, sector can really lead by example. Um, and the first step is to align with um, the, 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 the targets set at, uh, by the Paris Agreement, um, which has talked about how it is a large uh, emitter. Uh, so, you know, focusing on reducing carbon footprint is critical. And uh, also implementing low carbon healthcare delivery and operations, decarbonizing its supply chain, moving towards net zero. These are all um, uh, efforts that the healthcare industry should and many of the, um, the, the companies in, in the industries are already moving towards. At the same time, I think it's really important for the healthcare uh, sector to focus on building resilience, to better prepare its facilities, its workforce, and then the wider system um, for you know future climate impacts, as well as the shift of uh, shifting burdens of disease, uh, so that they can better support community health and resilience. Um, I also think that the healthcare um, sector can do more uh, to shift its focus from reactive treatment of disease uh, to a model that's more proactively promoting health and wellness across populations. Um, so I think it's similar to what we talked about in the previous episodes around like education so that people are more aware of the risks that cities face, the, the importance of bio, uh, loss of biodiversity, et cetera. So I think, again, similarly, more education around the why is it so important to, uh, from a preventive standpoint, uh, to understand, you know, what is needed such that you don't end up in a situation whereby there's already widespread of disease and there is climate disaster that interrupts uh, logistics and supply of medicines and all of these things come, you know, at at the same time. It's, you know, you know, there are things that we can do to prevent that from happening. Yeah. Yeah. Ideally, we don't want to see another global pandemic, for example. That would be a definitely not nice thing to to be able to prevent. Yeah. Um, well, just finally, then. So, um, what do you th- what do you see as the the next steps when it comes to investing in this sector? And and I know you've already talked about the opportunities, but where do we go from here? Um, so, I think through the lens of sustainable investing. Um, it's actually really important to look at, uh, first of all, investment opportunities that can reduce mortality associated with climate disasters, climate change, because it will help to strengthen the healthcare sector's capacity to provide uh, a high standard of care, if you like. Um, and then also to take a longer term view to move away from, as I, as I was saying, like reactive interventions to solutions that integrate multiple considerations. And uh, many of the same actions that reduce greenhouse gas emissions can also improve air quality and support the sustainable development goals like walking, cycling, more urban green space, uh, plant-based diets and all of that. So these are things that we typically talk about in mitigation, but they are equally important for adaptation and helping this healthcare sector to better adapt to a uh, warmer climate. Um, and I think uh, there are uh, look at the systemic changes that target other sectors with impacts on health. Right, so agriculture, transport, and housing, because they're all um, interrelated. So phasing out internal combustion engine is going to improve uh, air pollution and also the, the the health and well-being of individuals. Um, so how healthcare system inter uh, inter uh, 
links with the other sectors and the opportunities there that can help to solve for multiple issues in multiple sectors all in one go. I think that's that's another way to uh, for sustainable investing to really focus on. Yeah, and and a nice way to kind of bring an end to the three episode series as well. It's kind of interlinking of them all really in this in this area. You can't just take take them in in isolation. Um, so yeah, so that's that's a great point. Well, thanks so much. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. I'm now joined by Divya Bobby Joseph, Senior Research Analyst for Healthcare and Pharmaceuticals at Sustainalytics, to drill down into the sector a little bit more. So it's great to have you with us, Divya, first of all. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So how would you say that sustainable investors should be looking at the healthcare sector? Um, So I would say that the healthcare industry is quite different in the sense that while investors would mostly look at environmental indicators while assessing, for example, an oil and gas or a mining company, in the case of healthcare, it's the social pillar that's the most significant. So this pillar would cover topics such as product quality and safety, labor relations, drug pricing, or even ethical marketing. In terms of the different aspects an investor could potentially look at, I would say that a company's product portfolio would be one key factor. So for example, pharmaceutical companies that are primarily involved in the manufacture of drugs for acute as well as rare diseases would be less exposed to product liability concerns or even very high regulatory scrutiny. So the reason for this is that the the life-saving nature of these drugs in a sense outweighs some of the risks that companies are on average exposed to. And over the long term, this poses relatively lesser financial impacts for the company. Um, I would also say that an investor could look at the company's geographic footprint. So companies that sell their products, for example, in the US or the EU, are at a higher risk of product liability litigation. And the reason is that the likelihood of adversely impacted patients filing lawsuits is a lot higher in these markets. So in the event of any discrepancies, companies could be targeted with heavy fines, sales restrictions, or even warning letters, which pose material financial impacts impacts for them. Um, Lastly, I would also say that an investor could potentially look at whether a company has implemented any equitable pricing strategies or if they have any value-based care offerings in place. So the issue of accessibility and affordability of healthcare has become a hot topic, especially in the recent years. So for example, as of March of this year, approximately 112 million people in the US or about 44% of the population were struggling to pay for healthcare because of the exorbitant costs involved. Therefore, companies that offer equitable pricing strategies or those that even tie the pricing of their product to the value that's been derived by the patient would display a prioritization of patient outcome as compared to profit maximization. Um, So as of 2022, we have um, the Swiss company Novartis, which is actually performing quite well on this issue, as they offer equitable pricing that's been customized to the different sales regions that they operate in. Yeah, so some of those um, things that you've mentioned there do seem quite specific to the sector, right? And some of them are, you could probably find some of those social issues or forced labor issues across various ones. Are there any other ESG risks or opportunities that are really quite unique to the healthcare sector? 
I'm very fascinated by this industry because there's always so much new that's happening. Um, I would say that a unique and a very increasingly important challenge um, for the industry is, as I mentioned before, with respect to the affordability and accessibility of its products. Right. So pharmaceutical companies have been historically scrutinized for their unsupported price increments. Um, so, for example, a vial of insulin that is used to treat diabetes costs just about $10 to produce. However, we see that companies, especially in the U.S., have been inflating prices to such an extent that an uninsured patient in the U.S. ends up paying about three to $400 for insulin as compared to about $20 that a person living in Germany pays. And this is also a topic that's been receiving a lot of um, attention over the recent years, with a lot of governments taking regulatory action to curb price increments. Um, so, for example, in the U.S., the Inflation Reduction Act was recently passed, and this places price caps on insulin. And it also permits the U.S. government to negotiate the prices of some drugs that they cover under Medicare. Um, similarly, China, which is actually the second largest pharmaceutical market, has since 2018 implemented a volume-based procurement strategy, wherein the market volume of provinces, cities, or even the country is tendered to manufacturers with the lowest price. Now, companies are so eager to acquire these contracts that they end up bidding extremely low prices, with some of them actually cutting their prices as much as 80%. And this entire strategy has resulted in the government saving up to $10 billion on a, a yearly basis. And because of the unique nature of this topic, um, drug pricing is also something that we incorporate into our ESG risk analysis for pharmaceutical companies because it's the only industry that's actually impacted by this. Um, so earlier in 2022, um, Morningstar and Sustainalytics had collaborated on creating a unique and a very pioneering um, um, capsule system, which assesses biopharmers' approach to pricing. So this system looks at how the net prices for the top-selling drugs differ from the cost-effective price threshold that's been defined by the Institute for Clinical and Economic Review, or ISO, as it's more popularly known. So ISO, just to give you like a brief description, ISO is considered as the U.S. drug pricing watchdog, and they perform value assessments on how much drugs should ideally cost based on the value derived to the patient. So this capsule system that we developed runs from one capsule to five, where the lower the number of capsule, the greater the discrepancy between ISO's cost-effective price threshold and the company's drug pricing. Um, so just to give you an example, we have um, biotech companies, um, Biomarin and Regeneron. So these two companies have five capsules, and this signifies that their drugs are priced similar to their cost effectiveness, or in some cases, even lower. On the other hand, we have Johnson & Johnson, which has only one capsule, and this is because about two of their top five drugs are priced above ISO's cost-effectiveness threshold. Um, so ex as an example, one of their blockbuster drugs, Stellara, which is used to treat Crohn's disease, has a net price that's about 300% higher than its cost-effectiveness threshold. Um, hence, I would say that drug pricing is definitely a very significant and a unique challenge um, for this industry. Apart from that, um, I would also say that, um, I mean, just to touch upon the environmental impact of the healthcare industry, um, so pharmaceutical companies, as well as hospitals, they use a significant quantity of water during their day-to-day -day operations. And in some cases, if this water is improperly discharged, they could contain a significant quantity of antibiotics. 
Um, so these antibiotics eventually are in the water that we drink, in the food that we eat, and they contribute to the spread of antimicrobial resistance, or AMR as it's more popularly known. And this issue, I would say, is particularly relevant in developing countries such as India and China, because a lot of pharmaceutical companies have their manufacturing locations in these regions. Um, so as of November of this year itself, from all of the companies that we cover at Sustainalytics, we only have about 5% of companies that have measures in place to treat their hazardous waste. Um, one of them is Sanofi. Um, so this company has a strong program. They have several initiatives to reduce the amount of waste that they generate at their plants. They have annual targets on how to reduce their waste, and they also regularly, regularly monitor their progress on this front. Interesting. But I guess that's quite a US skew for this sector, right? It sounds like. Yeah, exactly. Because I mean, there's been so much of conversation, especially about the pricing of it and the US, which happens to be the largest pharmaceutical market. So right. we see a lot of action happening or just over the past two, two years. It's a lot that's been triggered by the COVID-19 pandemic. Sure, so sure. We're, we're keeping yeah. a close eye on it and we're very intrigued by it for sure. Great. Well, thanks so much for your time and thanks for sharing that with us. You're welcome. Happy to be here. Find us on SoundCloud or iTunes by searching for ESG Out Loud.